My name is Mark Madison, and I am so very proud to have Fujitsu General America as a sponsor. At Fujitsu, they're focused on partnering with the best distributors and contractors to ensure that each Fujitsu heating and cooling system brings infinite comfort to every end user. Shane Rinner. Shane brings two decades of experience in coaching college basketball to Veritas Wealth Management and wields his coaching prowess as a financial advisor in managing investors' behavior towards financial success. Joining Veritas in 2015, Shane encourages investors to use the same discipline and determination that won his team's championships to help achieve their financial goals. A lifetime resident of Alaska, he's been involved with civic and volunteer activities across the state, and he spends his free time with his wife and their full children camping, hiking, and enjoying the great outdoors. Welcome, Shane. Good morning. Welcome to Mark Madison on Books and People. Today, I'm just absolutely delighted to have uh, as my guest, my old friend, Shane Renner. Shane, how are you this morning? Doing well, Mark. Uh, excited to be with you, and thank you. Well, I was I was thinking, you know, when did we actually meet? How did, how did that actually happen? And, and I'm probably only going to have half the story correct. You reached out to my oldest son, Colin, because you'd coached against him when he was at Fairbanks and you were at Anchorage, and you asked him to help you recruit Evan, our youngest. Is that, is that when we met for the first time on the phone? Yeah, I think that's the first interaction we had. I did know who you were just from the basketball scene and, and uh, from Colin playing up there at Fairbanks. So I had seen you and knew of your family, but our first interaction happened uh, you guys were in a round table and Colin called me on speaker and it was your wife and Evan and Colin and uh, there may have been somebody else present and I was introduced to the family and said okay why do you want Ev? <laughs> so it was a little more intense than you just described. Right right but I think your final sales pitch was how would you like to be somewhere where it's 75 degrees at Christmas. Yeah, sounds right. Uh, I enjoyed, we were in Laredo, Texas at Texas and International and, and uh, it was 75 on Christmas day, maybe a little warmer. And I knew Colin had spent time in Fairbanks and that you guys had a fair bit of rain in the Pacific Northwest. So I was trying at that point, I think I'd been hired maybe two days or two minutes. I was trying anything I could to have uh, Ev join me. <laughs> that worked out pretty well. Yeah, it did. How did how did you get started coaching? You know, I had an opportunity to play for uh, Dave Homequest. He's uh, a legend. He just went over a thousand wins in his career at an NAI school in Los Angeles, Biola University, and uh, I played there. And then I actually accepted a high school coaching job back in Anchorage, Alaska, my hometown. Um, after graduation, I flew up in June. I hadn't yet met with the team. And Dave called me and said that the assistant coach who I'd played for and recruited me uh, had to leave uh, and very quickly. And would I come back uh, and recruit and coach with him at 23? Um, normally, the progression would be that you'd have to coach for a number of years before you'd be given a college opportunity. So I was young at 23. Dave trusted me. We had a lot of uh, relationship and, and time together. And, and 
I was able to go back. So I resigned a job that I'd taken two weeks earlier and never uh, really started and went to be a college basketball coach back in LA. So uh, I was single at the time and, and uh, wasn't super fond of being in Anchorage, Alaska because of the cold winters and, and uh, being single. So when I got the call to go back to LA, I was like, wow, this is too good to be true. <laughs> Small Christian school, great environment, wonderful people. So that, how long were you there? I coached there for three seasons. Uh, I was the head coach of the JV team and then the lead assistant for uh, the varsity. Um, and then I left there and did a number of things that we'll probably visit about. And I ended up back there after a stint as a head coach in Europe. Uh, so I spent three years initially in the mid nineties as a coach at Biola. And then I was back there from 2000 to 2002. Okay. Around that same time, you met a mutual friend of ours, Swen Nader. Yeah. A lot of people don't yeah, know who Swen is, but he's a pretty amazing guy. Yeah, I, uh, I love Swen. Swen, sorry. Um, led the NBA in rebounding. And, and Mark, you're very close to him and know a lot about him and his career. Um, he actually recruited me a little bit out of high school and junior college when I chose Viola. He was the head coach. Uh, of a school in San Diego. Um, I didn't choose to go there, but I had a lot of friends that were there. And so I had an opportunity to go in the gym and play. And this was a number of years after uh, he had played the NBA. Right. And I just remember how competitive he was and, and everyone wanted to be on his team because you certainly didn't want to get screened or boxed out by, uh, <laughs> by Slim. <laughs> He's a big dude, 6'11", 295, and it's all muscle. Even still, yeah. all these years later. Yeah. Well, you I had, haven't seen him in a number of years. Oh, I, I it's been probably two, but I interviewed him on the podcast here last month. So, yeah, I still stay in touch with him. He's, he's a good man. In 2011, 2012, you were voted Coach of the Year at the Heartland Conference. How did that feel? Hmm. Yeah, I think anytime that happens and you your uh, coaching, you, you really understand that it's about the people around you. And for me, it was the Evans and the other young men that I had an opportunity to recruit and bring into the program. And, and a big part of it was the staff, the staff that we'd been able to put together of former players that had played for me and just their commitment. And so really that was a group award and the culmination of a lot of hard work. So I think what it did for me is it really validated that the choice to go to Texas A&M and invest there and to invest in former players as assistants and the players that we chose to play for us, it validated that investment as, as something that was just really, really special. Um, I didn't take it to heart too much and think that, you know, somehow I had arrived as a coach, you're always trying to get better and you're only as good as your players. But there was just a validation that what we were building there and creating was special. Well, yeah, given the fact that I think that before you arrived, they won seven games the year before and had been in the bottom of the league. And your first year, you had a winning record. Your second year, you were in the playoffs. I mean, amazing. Uh, you turned the program around. Yeah, thank you. It was, uh, it was a blast. It was some of my very fondest memories. I coached... Uh, 23 years in college and professionally 
And I would say that those three years in Texas um, were at the top because of what you just mentioned, where the program was, um, not only in the wins and losses, Mark, but you also know a lot of the things and the circumstances that had taken place there that unfortunately had really hurt young people. And I always coached to try to make a huge difference in the lives that we were uh, given, um, like your son. So to, to know that not only were we winning games, but that people were excited about basketball in our community and excited on our campus, and that some of the players that were remaining from the former regime, they, uh, their lives started to be transformed through the game of basketball. Instead of bitter, being bitter, they became better. And that was a thrill. Well, you know, what you did and how you brought those kids together. I remember the three games in Hawaii, Evans junior year, and you want all you, it's hard to win in Hawaii. You're down 15, nothing because of the refs, but <laughs> right. But you guys swept yeah, off. Three. Sure. And that game against Chaminade was uh, just an affirmation of what you guys did, the way the kids were moving the ball and the way they were playing defense and how unselfish they were was it really a testimony to the things that you infused into that culture? And that was probably the most fun I've ever had. And not just because my son was on the team, but, but just watching how a team came together and playing the, the game the right way. Yeah. It feels like it was yesterday. Um, probably <laughs> cause I'm getting, I'm getting older and I, and I want it to feel like yesterday, but yeah, I do. I remember the feeling that I felt that night in Chaminade, uh, obviously humid and warm in a very hostile environment, not necessarily because of the crowd, but because of the elements and a lot of things that go along playing there. Plus, they're very good. And they had just beat, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, I want to say it was Michigan State in the Maui Classic a week before. So they were a competent team. They were a talented team. And they were a well-coached team. And that night, if you would watch the Dust Devils play, you would have said, wow. And it was around what you just said. Their ability to play as a unit defensively and be connected and their willingness to be unselfish offensively. Uh, and it, it was remarkable. I mean, they didn't care who got the shot or who scored. They were there yeah. to win. And that was beautiful. <laughs> they were making the extra, extra, extra pass. They were. And they, yeah. you know, that team had a seven foot Nigerian center who transferred from USC, who a lot of people were saying was going to be in the NBA and Evan just ate his lunch. I remember that was kind of his coming out party. He dunked on him at one point. I just went, oh my, <laughs> that was when, to me, yeah. that was when the program turned, you know? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I had played in Hawaii um, as a player, college player, and then I also had coached. Um, I believe I had been to Hawaii six times as a coach prior to that. So I was very familiar with how difficult it was to go in there and win. I believe that was the last game and we had already went two and oh in Hawaii. And so right. these guys were starting to become confident. They had displayed that they could win in tough environments and certainly a coming out party for F. F uh, Ev was talented and Ev learned how to work really, really hard. But I think the piece that night that came together for him was that his talent and his hard work had started to merge and that he could have the confidence yes. to be great. And that's a, that's a big deal because you can be talented and you can put in a lot of hard work. 
but if you don't understand that you've earned the right to mm. be good right um and a lot of players don't get there so evan got there that night and then that just propelled him for the next uh for the next couple years yeah the transformation was was uh just delight as a parent and as somebody who coached for years was really for me personally was really rewarding um you you grew up in alaska as a kid what was that like? I mean, I know you like to hunt and fish. That's kind of hardwired into your DNA. Sure. What's growing up in Alaska like? Yeah, for me, it was wonderful. Um, I felt like I had the best of both worlds. Um, and kind of, you realize that a little later in life. And what I mean by that is this, is I got to hunt and fish. My father was an aviator. So we had access to the outdoors and very unique opportunities to do some special things. Um, and then if you know anything about the state of Alaska, you know that they love basketball and work cold and dark for a large period of winter. And so I spent a lot of time in the gym. And those are the things that I really loved, honestly, was to get in the airplane and go out and adventure with my father and then to get in the gym with my brothers and, and my buddies and play ball. And uh, th that's what I did. And so growing up in Alaska for me um, was special. And then having a chance to come back and coach here um, was, was really neat as well. Well, I, I've often said that, that you're a connector and that if you ran for a mayor of Anchorage, you'd win in a landslide. You're one of those people who, you know so many people, but you have a gift. You have an ability to connect with people in a way that's unique, I think, special. Where did that come from? You know, I think that probably came in a lot of ways from my father. Um, like you, Mark, he was a good, he was a very good dad. And he just taught us at a young age to look people in the eyeballs and to shake their hand and to ask them how they're doing and to interact with them. And he modeled that for me, the respect of others. And that he, he really always impressed upon me what you can learn um when you're just kind and when you just care um and so he modeled that for me and 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 i love people um and so i think some of that is just a natural personality of i love people and i love to help people and that's that connector piece is you know i i try to to when i enter a relationship really figure out you know what's important to this person how could per i perhaps have a chance to enhance them or encourage them in an area that that is needed um you know and then the hospitality my folks showed they uh uh they're people of a strong faith and so we had a lot of missionaries in our home from all over the world from a young age that would come and retreat my mom and dad's home and dad would take them out and then do the adventures of alaska so my mom had an open home our, our home was an open door policy and I married Amanda, who's very much built the same way. And that's what we've adopted. I mean, uh, into our own life is our, our doors are open and we love to have people. And to me, life's about relationships. So that connector piece comes natural, but certainly I learned that from my parents. Well, and they say we marry uh, the woman who's a lot like our mother. You certainly married up. So your mom, you know, had to have been a great mom. I mean, your dad is one of the easiest people to like I've ever met. 
but uh, I didn't know much about your mom. So, but I do know your wife and you married up my friend. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I would say the same thing about yourself with Deb. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, any kind of success I believe, you know, and, and even what I do for a living now in the financial practices, when people have success and however you measure that for a basketball coach, it's winning games. And when I'm sitting down financially, it's that someone's done a good job and, and they're headed to financial freedom. Uh, almost to a man, 100% of the time, um, the, the woman, um, the wife in that relationship, the mother of the children, they're the ones that are the drivers. And they, they, uh, they may be a little bit more in the background or quiet, not always the case, but they're always the ones that when you flush out the situation, they're the real reason behind the success. And so, I mean, I love Amanda. I'm really grateful. We're coming on 16 years and uh, she's been uh, four kids in four different states. I can't count how many homes we've moved. Uh, in and out of and coaching and she's just been a rock and so you're right i'm married up and i'm not shy to say it and i'm glad well it just means you can sell i mean you know <laughs> that's you know how to close the deal what's the old expression uh behind every great man is is a woman rolling her eyes uh, wow that's true <laughs> after watching you coach i know that that's uh that's what she was doing for well, sure she gets a chance to well, you were, pretty, you were a pretty intense coach. And uh, you also did something, and I guess I don't know a lot about this, the, the top of the world tournament. That was kind of your baby, was it not? Yeah, the top of the world was in Fairbanks, but I was part of the Great Alaska Shootout. That was the one. At That's UAA. right. And when did that start? Yeah. That started in the late 70s. So I certainly didn't have anything to do with it birthing, but it was... Um, in trouble, I guess, for back of a, lack of a better word, in the early 2000s when I got to UAA, and not because anyone here had done something wrong, but there was a plethora of these tournaments, the ESPN and the Maui, and and where there was three or four, now there's 44. Right. So there's a lot more choices, and so the pool of who you could get to come had shrunk. So I tried to do a really good job of building relationships in, in the basketball world. And I just started to really lean on those when I was directed to start scheduling for the Great Alaska Shootout. Right. Um, and trying to attract the best teams. I mean, we, you know, we had Duke and we had Bobby Knight when he was at Texas Tech and Washington there near you. And, and we had the cream of the crop teams coming to the Great Alaska. I remember, yeah. That was great. And that's a, that's a big project to be handed that as the assistant coach at university of Alaska Anchorage and to have coach trust you enough to, to coordinate that. That was quite a responsibility. Yeah, it was. And it was one I was happy to, uh, to jump in on. I mean, being born and raised here, I was, uh, you know, the, the shootout had become very important to me. And so I wanted to be sure that our fan base and a lot of those are my own family and friends had the best teams they could to watch at Thanksgiving. I mean, it it was the thing to do in our city for a number of years at Thanksgiving. It would have been the premier Thanksgiving tournament um, clear clear up into the late 2000s, you know. Um, there's a lot of them now, and there's a few that have probably taken its place as the crown jewel, but clear into 708, Great Alaska Shootout, it would have been it on Thanksgiving weekend. 
Yeah. Now you, the, the coach you were the assistant under uh, at Anchorage, what was his name again? Was it Brown? Uh, Rusty Osborne. Rusty. Um, yeah. How long did Rusty you, Osborne. how long did you work with him? So we worked together as assistants for a year and then he took over as head coach from Charlie Bruns, who is a long time. Bruns, that's there. what I was thinking. And then, of, yeah. We, yeah, Charlie Bruns. And then Rusty and I, I coached under him as his associate head coach for five years. So we were together for six. Got it. And uh, he was a good mentor for you. I mean, he was your friend, obviously, and co-coach, but he was a, he was a mentor of sorts as well, was he not? Yeah, Rusty has a really bright basketball mind, and so I learned a lot from him, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I played for a man that was a little more defensive-oriented, so I learned a lot on the offensive side. And then just to what you said, when someone trusts you um, to, to be able to take on things that perhaps might not be normal for an assistant, um, to me that speaks volumes about them as a leader. I've always thought as a leader, um, when you empower the people that you have with you and you allow them to do their job and do it well without being micromanaged, um, they grow way more than the opposite. And so right. to his credit and to my growth, he allowed that. So I, I've always been grateful for that opportunity. In addition to Rusty, who were some of your other mentors? Dave Holmquist, who I already mentioned at Biola, um, five master's degrees, uh, two doctorates, um, so very unique as a basketball coach. And his uniqueness was his ability to just understand people. He could take people who had had really bad experiences at Division One and had been beaten down, if you will, and he had the ability to bring them in and build trust with them immediately and restore confidence and let them see what they were capable of and, and to really maximize their success. And he did that, you know, more on the, on the mental side of things, if you will, than a skill development right. side. And so I learned a lot from him there. Uh, my high school coach was very good. Uh, I ended up working for him. He became a division one head coach from a high school coach in Alaska. Um, wow. So that's an unbelievable path for him. And I ended up working for him. So he's had a huge impact. And then I've been blessed with a lot of men like yourself that weren't basketball coaches per se in terms of I worked for them, but that have come into my life through the game of basketball that have invested me and poured into me and challenged me and held me accountable. Um, and, you know, that, that would be mentors. And that's the real privilege for me, Mark, to be on the phone today with you and doing this is, um, you know this because I've told you, but you've been that for me in my life uh, around leadership and around confidence. I think the confidence that I helped instill in your son, um, some of that came that you had instilled in confidence in me as a young leader that you can do this. Mm. And that's just so important. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful to you and I'm grateful for all of those men I mentioned that I was fortunate um, to have strong men that led well. Well, we, when we see something in someone, that special something, that sparkle in the eye, that 
that eye of the tiger, you know, the, the, the ambition, the willingness to learn, and, and you had that. So, you know, my job is to lay out the buffet. You came back for seconds and thirds. And so the credit goes to you because you're teachable. And, uh, you know, we've talked about that, but we've also talked about books. And obviously that's a huge kind of driving force in my life. What books had an impact on you? I know you like to read. Yeah, my, my, my reading list has changed a little bit moving from coaching um, basketball players to coaching in the financial world. And that transition has been a lot smoother than I thought because it really is coaching behaviors on both sides. But right. my reading list here just lately, um, one of the ones I've really enjoyed is Never Split the Difference by Chris Baugh. He was a negotiator with the FBI and he negotiated a lot of high-end things all over in terms of office situations. And when I was young, you think in negotiation, whether that's recruiting or now in business deals, that you've got to be tough and be strong and set boundaries and get what you want. And that book helped me understand that the way Chris Boss talked to people out of banks that had 10 people in them is he became their friend and he gave them a series of yeses. And you've talked to me about this as well. So he'd give them options and he would make them as positive as he could. And he usually give three and they would end up picking one of those. So that, that never split the difference in negotiating business deals has been uh, empowering. Um, Everyday Millionaire by Chris Hogan uh, with the Dave Ramsey Solutions team um, has been powerful for me. Um, not just to try to build wealth for wealth's sake, but to be able to actually impact the world and specifically your own community, everyday millionaire. And then what I'm reading right now is uh, Four Disciplines of Execution. Um, and that's really challenging me. And here at the office, we're starting to implement and execute um, some of those. And it talks a lot about the whirlwind and by nature, you have to be involved in the whirlwind, so to speak, of what it takes to run a business, but that if you can limit your whirlwind and really be able to uh, focus on the wildly important goals, the wigs, and you try to spend your energy and time there, that you move the needle a lot more than you do when you're just in the whirlwind. And to be honest, I kind of mastered the whirlwind, or maybe mastered would be wrong. I was pretty good at it, but what I'm realizing is is that. Um, limiting it creates a lot more life and balance and makes me a lot better in the most important thing mm. priorities yep interesting so coaching you made the transition after a successful coaching career into this next chapter in your life you're in financial management how how did coaching help you i mean the obvious quality or skill is your ability to sell recruit if you will close the deal but with those choice of yeses as you mentioned earlier but uh, how is what you do now similar to what you're doing when you were coaching yeah <clears throat> it, to be honest when i ended this i wasn't exactly sure how that would look and i had a childhood friend who'd invite me in to be a partner on a firm that he had already established and started and so i was blessed and fortunate to to walk into something that was um, special. I didn't 
uh, have some of the challenges that others would have had, but I wasn't quite convinced that my background in coaching would translate to finances. And Chad did that. I, I had a financial background because my dad was an investor, my brother's an international money manager, and I was taught at a young age, you know, the simple concept of staying out of debt, not spending more than you make and saving money. Um, but I thought you had to be a guru, so to speak, in um, all that is the stock market. And so how that correlates with basketball is some coaches think that they have to be able to know every play known to man and that the, that the secret sauce is the X's and O's. And um, I think you find out in coaching, it's the Jimmies and the Joes. It's the, it's the, it's the players. And so what I quickly found out that the correlations between my ability to relate with people and to get them to come on. So the recruiting process, the trust factor of joining and then building a plan, holding them accountable, challenging them, challenging them through a plan, coaching them. It's very, very similar. And that uh, the investments are important. And you have people who can help you in that development. But what's most important is the relationship that I have with my clients. They trust me with their money. I think the two hardest things for people to trust people with is their, their kids and their money. Right. So I recruited people's children for a long time, and now it's their money. And to be able to build trust around that and to be able to succinctly put together a plan um, with their hopes and dreams um, and then goals attached to those and walk them through that process. Um, like an athlete, the most destructive behavior um, for an athlete or for an investor is their own behavior. But often people want to blame it on the team. A player wants to blame it on the team or an investor wants to blame it on the investment. The destructive behavior is really uh, their own behavior. So I try to save them from that. And it's, I love it. <laughs> it's been fun. Well, when I met Chad, gosh, two, three years ago now, uh, it became clear, not only is he intense and focused, but he really knows what he's doing. And I, all I could think of was, wow, you two combined would make a great team. And it sounds like you're having fun and you're doing well. Yeah, we are. Our firm's grown. So when you first met Chad, it would have been Chad and I, and we were doing our own uh, front office work. And now we have two front office full-time, uh, and we've hired two other uh, full-time advisors and grown our firm. And one of those is a former player of mine um, from UAA. So I'm in a coaching role a decade later with one of my players, and, and the role has changed uh, in terms of what I'm coaching. And yeah. that's, a great, that's a great joy. So we moved from two to six, Mark. We're looking to purchase our own office building, and we have plans to grow from six to 12 uh, in the next 24 months. Um, and so that's been great because I'm built to be on a team. And when it was Chad and I, it felt a little bit lone rangerous. And right. now when you walk into a full office, man, that, that, uh, that makes me alive. And my real goal in this thing is, is I'll continue with the investors and the clients that I have, but I'm not too far away from where I won't take any more clients and I'm going to actually coach the coaches that we've hired. 
right. and help them build their business. You can't not be a coach. So this is a perfect fit for you. Hmm. It's part well, of your DNA, my friend. Yeah. The only place I try not to be a coach is with my wife. I've been reminded oh. a few times that uh, I'm not one of your players. And I said, right. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> hey, I had to learn that the hard way. One day she says to me, Hey, I want to run something by you. And, uh, and you know, on more than one occasion, she said, you're not my, you know, you're not my consultant. Right. So I, I learned to just not do anything. So one day she says, Hey, I want to bounce something off you. And I said, uh, okay. I said, do you want me to offer advice or just listen? She goes, no, just listen. I said, okay. So <laughs> I listened for like 15 or 20 minutes, you know how that goes. And, uh, and then finally at the end, she says, so what do you think? And I said, about what? And she said, what do you think I should do? I said, you told me that you didn't want any advice. Right. And uh, she said, no, it's okay. You know, what do you, what would you do? And it's like, well, you know, I would do this, this, and this. So I learned a long time ago. I, you know, the best thing I can do is just say yes, dear, and, uh, and, and listen as much as I can. But guess what we're going to do today, my friend? Debbie and I are driving over to Issaquah, and we're taking Colin's daughter to see the, the new uh, animated movie Spirit about a horse. Yeah. Penelope's five. So, oh, man. Can't wait. And I'm, I'm not for the movie. I'm just going to watch her watch the movie. Uh, right? You know what I mean? You have daughters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, how old yeah, are your kids now? Smile. Uh, I have a 13-year-old daughter. I have a 10-year-old son. I have an 8-year-old daughter. And then I've got a 5-year-old son. So 5 to 13, two of each. And I remember I when your old son was born. Coming to the game as a, as a newborn. That's right. He was born, I want to say he was probably born Evan's junior year. Yes. Um, there in Texas. Yeah, so. I remember. And now he's running around like a, he's a lot like you, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's got some things like me. He, he loves the game of basketball and, and uh, that's, that's been awesome, but also comes with its challenges. I didn't introduce him to the game. Um, I didn't want to do that to him. His cousin kind of introduced him to the game, but man, I mean, he just has a love. You asked me earlier about, you know, getting into coaching we were sitting at the dinner table, probably like you and your family, and you would ask your children, uh, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I remember at 12 years old, my mother asked me that question. And I knew probably I wasn't going to be six, seven and jump over the moon and have a chance to play professional basketball. Even at 12, I think I, one of the things that helped me be as good as I could be as a player and as a coach is understanding who I was. So right. I knew I couldn't be a pro but I knew I loved the game at 12. And I told my mom at 12, well, I'll be, I'm going to be a, a college basketball coach. Wow. And that, yeah, 12 years old, that happened for me. I don't know. Merrick's not communicated being a basketball coach, but man, he has a love of the game. And uh, his mother played division one volleyball at Fresno state, tall and long and way athlete, more athletic than me. So I'm hoping he gets all her athleticism and maybe a little <laughs> my stubbornness. <laughs> Well, you were the guy that dove on the floor for the loose balls. I never did that. I went, oh, there goes the loose ball. Look at that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just dunked on well, people's almost, head. Well, sure. Well, we're almost out of time, my friend. I am so grateful uh, for you to make the time uh, to talk today. It's just a joy to see you and, and, and hear you tell stories again. Uh, I miss spending time with you. Um, I, I would ask one last question. 
I have such a fondness for your for your father. You you guys all live in the same cul-de-sac, which I think is just an amazing thing, or at least you used to. And uh, what's the one piece of advice your father offered you uh, that really stuck with you that made a difference in your life? Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you two. One's real short. Um, uh, you can play now and pay later, or you can pay now and play later. I think there's a mix there, but his point was when I was 18 to 25, whether it's the way that I educated myself or way I saved money or the way I lived my life, that it was all, if it was all about play, that I would pay for that and that I'd pay for it a lot longer than the play lasted. Right. And I tried to listen to that. And then the other thing is just uh, a piece of scripture that he used to say to me often that says, no discipline is pleasant at the time, however painful, but in the end, it brings a harvest of righteousness and truth to those who are trained by it. And he wasn't talking about the discipline that he was administering, but he's talking about self-discipline right. and learning that self-discipline is not pleasant at the time and can be painful, but the end result is going to be beautiful. And so that scripture is something obviously I've committed to memory and that I remind myself, even where I am at my age, I want to continue to grow. I want to continue to add new disciplines in my life. And I want to be better tomorrow than I was today. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great advice. He, your, your father's a wonderful man. So it's easy to see why uh, you've been able to be successful by following his tenets. Uh, I'm going to send you a, the manuscript of my new book. It's the longest I've written. It's 250. It'll probably be 250 pages. But um, I basically wrote it for my grandchildren, An Old Light Through New Windows, 52 Questions to Change Your Life. And there's some yeah. stories in there about Evan and Colin that I think you'll appreciate. So I'm going to send that off to you today. Uh, when the book comes out, I'll definitely get you a copy, but uh, I'd love to get your feedback on it. Yeah, I'll read it right away. Thanks. And you asked me about books earlier, and one of the ones on time that you had written is one that that sticks out to me. I've, I've uh, tried to read everything that you've sent me because uh, I know it's valuable. And uh, you're one of the ones in my life with my dad that's encouraged me to be more of a lifetime reader. And uh, I've continued to enhance that. I'm not a, either one of your levels in terms of the amount of books I read, but it's something that I've committed to myself to is the reading piece of things. Thank well, you for that. You're welcome. It's my pleasure, Shane. We're almost out of time. So I'm just going to say thank you. Uh, bless your family. Give them a big hug for me. And I look forward to seeing you in the fall. Thank you, Mark. I love you and give my best to your, uh, to your kids and your wife. Thanks, Shane. I love you too, brother. Take care. This podcast is brought to you by the team at Fujitsu General America. And like this podcast, they're focused on education and development. From the day they sold their first comfort system in North America, They've been unwavering in their focus on training. It doesn't matter if it's application, installation, or service. A better trained technician brings better value to the homeowner. So when you're looking for infinite comfort, think Fujitsu. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or pique your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net. 
And remember, make it a great day, unless you have other plans.